Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now it's time to talk about the nation's special and long-awaited food issue just published this week. For that, we turn to one of the nation's editors, Zoe Carpenter. She's also associate Washington editor of the magazine. Zoe, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, the food issue of the nation, I guess it's not going to be about the hottest new restaurants or the latest foodie trends. Uh, Listeners might guess that the food writers at The Nation think the most depressing thing about Donald Trump is how he orders his steak. Well done. But actually, that was a headline in The Washington Post, not at The Nation. What is The Nation's food issue about? Well, the theme of this special issue is the future of food. And the reason we chose that is because it's a really uncertain time at almost every link in our food supply chain. And what I mean by that is that we're at uh, critical points where in agriculture, in food service, when it comes to labor, in technology, there are all these changes, there are all these questions, and there are real challenges uh, that are confronting our food system. And so we thought it was a good time to take stock of some of those changes and, and challenges and look ahead and ask what the future of food might look like um, in a couple of ways. Well, let's talk about some of the key pieces. One of the most important is headlined, Did Monsanto Ignore Evidence Linking Its Weed Killer to Cancer? This could be the company's big tobacco moment. Uh, Tell us about the Monsanto piece. Sure. That's a piece by Renee Ebersole that we published in partnership with the Food and Environment Reporting Network. And this piece looks at a very significant court case, which is centralized in California, which is accusing Monsanto of having known that its weed killer Roundup caused or could cause cancer, but advertising it as safe. And, you know, some background on on Monsanto and on Roundup is that the active ingredient in Roundup glyphosate is the most popular herbicide in the world. And so hundreds of millions of pounds of this herbicide are are sprayed every year um, on cropland, on personal gardens and lawns. And it really has been the key to Monsanto's growth as a biotech company because Monsanto, not only does it have this very powerful weed killer, but it has also been able to genetically engineer crops to be resistant to glyphosate, um, the so-called Roundup-ready seeds. Uh, and, and so much of our domestically produced corn and soy and other commodity crops are now engineered to be resistant to this herbicide so that farmers can spray 
huge amounts of it all over farmland. So it's, it's really everywhere. They've detected glyphosate residue in all sorts of food, from Cheerios to fruits and vegetables. Ooh. And there's been a big debate for many years about the product's safety. And that debate came to a head uh, recently when an international committee, which is connected to the World Health Organization, ruled that glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen. And uh, Monsanto just disagrees with that ruling and says that it uh, contradicts previous rulings by authorities like the Environmental Protection Agency in the U.S., but it did open the door for this uh, lawsuit and, and many other lawsuits claiming that farmers and other people developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from using Roundup. Of course, we don't expect Trump's EPA to do anything about this, but if I remember the big tobacco settlement correctly, this was the work of the state attorney generals, not so much of the uh, national EPA. So these cases are being brought by private individuals, um, and the EPA has actually maintained that glyphosate is not harmful. They're still in the middle of another review of the safety. And part of what this article uncovers and discusses is that Monsanto has had a very close relationship with some of the regulators at the EPA who are evaluating the chemical safety. And so that raises questions about the integrity of their review. And then there's a very different kind of story in the nation's new food issue, how food brought an unlikely group of Syrian refugees together, stuck in Greece, families found comfort in culinary rituals. This one is a report from a refugee camp in an abandoned Greek Air Force base on a mountain north of Athens. Tell us about this piece. Yeah, this is a really lovely little portrait of a community in this um, refugee camp. Uh, reported by Dahlia Mortada, and it has some beautiful photographs by a photographer named Sima Diab. And what they found at Ritsona, the refugee camp, is that although families were living in very difficult conditions, um, in very Spartan conditions, there was a group of families that had uh, basically been clustered together around an alley. And they were families that never would have interacted in Syria, or they never would have been close in Syria because of uh, different geographic histories, but also because their families came from very different socioeconomic, religious, ethnic backgrounds. And then in this camp, after not being very interested in meeting one another or not very interested in interacting with one another, they started to form a bond based around an attempt to make the food that they missed from their home communities in Syria. And specifically, uh, three of the women were pregnant at the same time, and one of them had a pregnancy craving for a particular dish that was a very laborious dish to make. And so the two other women understood how, how severe and intense her longing for this food was, and they teamed up to try to make it for her, which was quite a gesture of, of love um, in a very difficult time. And since then, the families sort of created this communal kitchen and trying to find ingredients and recreate recipes from home. And the bigger picture of this article is the way in which the diaspora and, and the conflict in Syria has changed Syrian cuisine and how it's still changing the cuisine. Uh, for example, it's difficult to get many of the ingredients in Greece or they're just simply too expensive to recreate the traditional recipes. And so people are adapting them for the times. Men who are traveling are trying to figure out how to cook on their own and they're getting recipes from their mothers or their sisters over WhatsApp. So the piece is just a really interesting portrait of uh, what's happening with Syrian cuisine now that 
families are being uh, flung all over the globe. And this piece includes a recipe, something we don't see in the nation very uh, often. I don't think I've ever seen it before, but it's not the same kind of recipe that you see in the New York Times uh, food section. Just say a few words about the, the recipe. Yeah, the recipe is for feta, which is a a dish that is apparently served for Friday brunch with family. And it's one of the first dishes that the reporter who wrote the story was served by the families. And so it's made with crispy pita bread and warm chickpeas and um, several other ingredients, uh, ghee, hot ghee, pine nuts, um, and a yogurt sauce, yogurt tahini sauce. Um, and there are some adapt adaptations that the writer uh, talks about that the families have had to make. For example, instead of deep frying the pita bread, um, they might bake it because oil for deep frying is very expensive. Um, but the dishes is on the website and uh, it's delicious. So I strongly encourage the listeners to go find it and, and cook it themselves. Refugee food with some of replacements for things that are hard to get in refugee camps in Greece. But uh we recommend the recipe anyway. I want to ask you about one more article, a strange story I did not know anything about, how bans on cow slaughter in India have become a pretext for violence against the country's Muslim minority. This is kind of the opposite story from the, uh, the one about uh, Syrian refugees in Greece. Yes, in the sense that the Syrian refugee story is about food bringing people together. And in this other story written by Amitava Kumar, um, you see food being used as a pretext for for division and for conflict. What really interests me about the uh, beef story is it's one of many examples um, that I noticed in doing research for this issue where our political anxieties and these debates about social issues spill over into into our food, into our culinary conversations, um, into the way that food is served. In Europe, for example, in France and Italy, there's been a good bit of debate about um, proposed bans on street food, which is seen as a thinly veiled attempt to shut down businesses that are largely run by migrants from the Middle East and North Africa. Um, And then, of course, in the U.S., there's this infamous example of uh, Donald Trump using a taco bowl to um, try to communicate his love for Hispanics. Meanwhile, since then, his policies um, on immigration have really impacted the people who pick and and cook and serve our food. So in the case of the story in India, you see um, the political party of Narendra Modi, the, the prime minister, Um, That party is the BJP, which is a right-wing nationalist Hindu party, is using uh, this long-standing taboo against eating beef as a way to essentially verbally attack the Muslim minority uh, with the idea that killing cows is is, uh, taboo. Um, And that has emboldened these groups of, of vigilantes essentially to come after what largely are poor minority Um, members of of the Indian nation, um, accusing them of eating beef, in many cases with very, very scant evidence. Finally, the big question, how do we get to a more equitable and sustainable food system? You wrote part of that section. What kind of answers did your contributors come up with? So we asked our contributors to respond in pretty specific ways. So some of the ideas um, include thinking more critically about the next generation of gene editing technology that's starting to come online and looking very seriously at who controls that technology um, and what we're using it for. 
Another thing that our contributors talked about is making sure that we are supporting young people who want to get into farming. We have a serious uh, problem with farmers getting older and there not being enough people to, to take their place. There are also serious issues with consolidation in the industry. And many of the people that, that I talked to in preparing for this issue talked about those growing oligopolies as being something that's very difficult for, for farmers and for consumers. It limits choice, makes things more expensive, and it has real concerns for, for public health. So those are just a few of the ideas. Then, of course, there's looking at how the food system supports the workers who work in that system. You may be buying a, a beautiful tomato, a beautiful organic tomato, um, but what's happening to the people who pick that tomato or who is serving your food in restaurants? What kind of support are they able to offer their families based upon the wages that they're earning? One more thing. I open by saying the nation's special food issue is not about the latest foodie trends, but I see there is a page of recipes for some cocktails. I was a little surprised. What what are the new cocktails that the nation has come up with? Well, you know, these are these are dark times. These are difficult times. And, and sometimes when reading the news, it is best to do so with a stiff drink, okay. um, particularly these days. And so we, we asked three of our favorite booze experts to come up with some recipes for us. They have very uh, evocative titles, I have to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we have a drink called Russian Interference. That is a, a vodka-based drink, as you can imagine. And we have another a variation of a Negroni called the Kofivi Negroni. And of course, some people may remember that Kofivi was an, uh, an infamous typo made by our new commander-in-chief. Uh, and then finally, there's a drink called the Knee Bend, which is an adaptation of an old German drink, approximately called the Knee Bend. Um, and this drink refers to uh, the recent NFL protests. Well, I hope there was a taste testing of these cocktails to make sure that America's oldest weekly was not making a mistake here. You are, you know, there was a taste test and I can assert that they are all delicious and all worth your time. Zoe Carpenter, she was one of the editors of and contributors to the nation's special issue, The Future of Food, Setting the Table for the Next Generation. It's out now. You can read it at thenation.com. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, 
Get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats hard shoes on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.